huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is episode three. This is a much debated subject. Should you chase and do what you love and hope you can make some money out of it? Or should you really go for a career that's proven to make a good amount of money, except that maybe it's not what you love, but you can earn good money and make a good career and and the dichotomy of that. Now, I see a lot of people starting businesses or taking a new arm of their existing business because they love the idea of something, they, because they want to do something, because they're passionate about something. And whilst admirable and ideological, often that's not the best thing to do at all. And you can end up losing the passion you had for that hobby or uh, vacation, if you like, that passion, because you went into it a bit naive, a bit with rose-tinted glasses, you didn't really do enough testing of the marketplace. You didn't really know if there was demand. You were certainly very biased, maybe a little bit too keen, maybe naive even. Now, I have a six-step system to monetizing your passion, and I'm going to share those six steps with you. And if you're ever thinking of taking the business you've got and going into a new niche or moving into an area of your business that you've got a personal passion for, that's moving away from what you've been doing and what you know, or you want to start up a business and you want to do something that you really enjoy and you don't want to sell yourself out or sell your time for money anymore. You want to make sure you go through this six-step system every time. Don't be biased. Don't uh, try and really force something that isn't there. Make sure each one of these six steps are ticked off and you'll increase your chances of building something that you love to do most of the time. Because you remember, I believe that uh, you can't be happy all the time. You can't do what you love all the time. The grass is, isn't greener on the other side all the time. But at the same time, it's something that you'll endure the challenges and the difficulties for, or you'll accept the downside. You know, a bit like when you fall in love and, of course, you're infatuated at first and you love everything about this person and you're totally blinded to all the downsides. Now, it'll endure if you can accept and love even the the downsides to, you know, to the things about your partner or at least the things that you perceive as the downside. You'll That's when you'll have a happy life or a happy marriage. It's, of course, when, you, when the infatuation is gone and the downsides become more obvious to you. Uh, Now, if you can't accept those, then, you know, you were probably a little bit blinded in the first place and it's probably not right. So in in much the same way, that analogy will work for building your business. Now, an example to start, 
I'm passionate about golf. I'm doing my best to raise a world number one golfer. He's doing pretty well so far. He's qualified for under seven world championship at the age of four. He's the youngest person ever to get a hole in one. And the reason I'm talking about this is because there's a lot of parallels with golf and business. And I'm from an area called Peterborough, which no one really knows where it is, but it's very close to London. And there's a, a, a virtual golf a complex. I say complex, it's, it's quite small, uh, just in a remote village called Whittlesea, which probably you've not heard of. Now, that's only about three, four miles out of Peterborough city centre, but it's in the middle of the fens, in the middle of nowhere. And it's, a, it's an indoor golf simulator where you hit the ball into a screen and it's like a, like a flight simulator, but for golf, basically. And I've been taking Bobby there all through the winter. We go most days because obviously it's a great facility. It's great in the winter. You can track your scores. You, can, you have this sort of um, a, a tracer that traces your ball. It's actually a really brilliant complex. It's great service. And you can keep all your stats. You can mulligan and hit a shot again if you mess it up. You're in the warm. It's, it's just great. You can play every single golf course that there is, uh, or the best ones across the... You can play the Florida golf courses, the World Championship, and the, the Masters and the Open Golf Championships. It's brilliant, except a few things. Now, before I talk into what I think is flawed with the business model, it's actually two professional golfers or professional golf coaches that uh, now run that. They bought it off the previous owners, off the previous owners. So it's already failed twice. And who set up these... Uh, virtual golf uh, complexes or this small complex, of course, um, golf passionates, aficionados, professionals, if you like, but I believe not necessarily in tune with business, marketing, sales, etc. scaling. Now, the jury's out yet. I've become friends with the people who own it and I really want them to do well and I try and tell everyone to go there and the jury's out if they really have followed these six steps. They probably haven't. And the jury is also out as to whether they've got the business knowledge as well as the passion for golf. They're trying really hard, I know, but we will see. But the reason I think it failed twice before is because, number one, it's kind of remote. Like, you know, it's not you don't drive past it. It's not somewhere that people want to go to as a place. It's right under this massive uh, wind farm. And uh, it's just, you know, maybe not in the best location. You have no footfall. You have no traffic because it's off the beaten track. So you're not ever going to be able to go there accidentally. You're not going to have that throughput of people. Number two, they only have three bays. Now, they charge £20 an hour, I believe, off peak, £25 an hour on peak. They have three bays. So maximum at any one time, they can make 60 to £75 an hour. You know, now if you think about, you've got a, a business unit with all the overheads. You've got the, you've obviously got to pay business rates. You've got your corporation tax. You've got your income tax when you draw money. You've got your heating, your lighting. You've got your staff costs. You've got depreciation of assets. I know some of it that can be offset, but it still depreciates. You've got maintenance. When we went there, only one of the three bays was actually working. So you know, you've got repair and maintenance. You've got all of these costs. And the maximum you can take in income is £75 an hour on peak. Of course, that's between six and nine. So that's really unsociable hours that the, the people who are working there have got to work. So, you know, what's the, if they can do, they're probably only going to do an average of £40, £45 an hour. They're probably only going to fill that six hours a day. They're doing £250 a day. Now, you know, there's just... 
how is that going to be a sustainable, scalable business model? Yet I know it's something that surely a lot of winter golfers would love and millions of people play golf. I believe something like 20 million people in America alone play golf. But of course, this isn't America. Now, if that were maybe a bit close to the city centre or closer to a lot of traffic or even maybe closer to another golf complex, if they had more bays, then, you know, maybe that would scale and maybe they could make enough money. But, you know, I really hope that they succeed, but I really fear for them. So the six steps to monetizing your passion, turning your passion into your profession, make sure you follow these steps. Here they are. Step one is discover or understand, elicit your values. Is this thing that you're going into, this business model, is it in alignment with what's most important to you in your life? Is it really a passion or is it a fleeting desire? Or is it a shiny penny that you've just got into recently, a bit like going to the gym in January, but actually it's not going to endure? Now, I wrote a book which became a a number two bestseller in all books and number one bestseller in business, only behind Lean in 15 in all books, called Life Leverage. And there's a section in there about eliciting and and understanding and drawing out of you your values, what's most important to you in your life, you know, who you are as a unique individual. Now, most people across the planet don't ever go through this exercise. It's not taught in schools. But whilst unconsciously you do know what your values are because how you fill your time, how you fill your space, you know, what, what you read and study, where you go and travel to, what you notice while you're traveling, all of these things will ultimately determine what's most important to you in your life. Do you consciously know what they are? Because most people don't. So how, to, how do you discover your values? You, you, you ask yourself repeatedly, get a piece of paper out or a device and write down the answers to the following questions repeatedly. What is most important to me in my life? And you want to write maybe between five and 15 things the, the right number will be the right number for you. You'll, you'll spontaneously, intuitively know unconsciously what they are. So you simply ask yourself between five and 15 times, what's most important to me in my life? It might be family. It might be health. It might be happiness. It might be business. It might be making money. It might be competition. It might be freedom. It might be autonomy. It might be choice. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's normally very small phrases, very high level of abstraction, you know, conceptual rather than, you know, playing uh, the Game Boy uh, 15 hours a day. Look at me retro talking about Game Boy. Now, your values are unique to you. They are your destiny. They are who you are. They are the uniqueness of you. No one else on the planet has the same makeup of values, the same amount in the same order. And you need to discover that because once you discover what they are and you do that exercise and you look at that list and you look at the things that are high up, do they match with this new passion that you're trying to turn into a professional, this new business you're setting up? Or is it a fad? Is it something that you've been uh, dragged up in the excitement by, but isn't going to last? Because if it's not high on your values, you won't endure the challenges, the difficulties that are inherently there in anything that you're starting up to carry on, to scale and to, to grow it. Okay, so let's assume you've done that exercise. You should probably pause this and take a break and do that. Let's assume you've done that. Let's assume that this business that you're scaling or setting up is something that actually is high on your values or links to something that's really high on your values. That's good, maybe in the top five. Number two, step number two is honoring those values so that you can actually become a master of this niche or this industry. And what that means is it means living out those values daily. Now, If they're already your values and you went through exercise one, it's going to be a lot more easy and a lot more natural for you to live those out every day. 
But people do change their values through significant emotional events, shocks, or they naturally evolve. You know, as you get older, things become more and less important. And you want to check in the the business that you're operating in, you are living your values through that business or that business's values are coming through you and they are aligned. Because, for example, if philanthropy and contribution is really high on your values, but your business becomes a bit too much of a profit-making enterprise and you start feeling like the service that that business is giving isn't really something that adds to contribution, then there's going to be a disconnect there and you're going to go one way and the business is going to go the other. Now, that's not to say that's right or wrong, by the way. That's just an example. Now, obviously, for example, in you might be a broker of something where you're taking a percentage of selling some kind of investment where maybe... Maybe that investment isn't performing, but one of your highest values is contribution, giving, philanthropy. There's going to be a pull there. By the same token, if you, one of your highest values is making money and you're doing something that's making money, then you're going to be in alignment. So you want to regularly check that in. I'd recommend at least every six months, go back and do that values elicitation exercise. What's most important to me in my life, I'll ask it to myself, get five to 15 answers, check the values, check the order of them. Are they in the right order of who I want to be? Look at my business, look at how I'm serving and solving for people. Do, do they align or have I, have I, my values changed or have I kind of lost what my values and my mission is in my business? Because when they're aligned, you, you you will have this power to um, be in flow, as it's been often been named called, where you know your passion profession merge, where you don't have to be motivated by anyone externally to go and do what you love. You get up wanting to do it. You think about it all the time. You you you've always got ideas and creativity. You socially you would do what's what you would do in business. That's when you know that you're honouring your values in your business niche or industry. Okay, so those steps one and two, you have a passion and profession merge, you're living it and that's great, but there's got to be a niche, there's got to be a marketplace for it. It's all very well doing something that you love all day, every day, but if there is no niche, if there is no need for it, there is no demand, maybe sometimes you can be a bit early with your innovations and you can do something that really would change the world, but people aren't ready for yet. Or maybe you're just too much of an early adopter and there isn't a big enough marketplace, or maybe you're too late. And actually, the, 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 it's a very mature market and therefore getting into it is very difficult or it's almost monopolistic. I mean, if you wanted to start a search engine business, you know, you're competing with someone that's massive in Google. If you want to start a bank, always hear people in the progressive community saying, hey, we should start a bank. We should start a fund. That'd be great. And yeah, it would be great if you had your own bank and fund. But, you know, you're competing with Goliaths and behemoths and in a very mature regulated industry, it's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive. So I know sometimes this is the thing, this is where your fire and your passion get put out a bit because you've got all this excitement. You've done your values. You've got your passion. You could, you could really do this for a living and then you realise there's no marketplace for it and you get a bit deflated. But ultimately, it's better to check this a few times before you start than start, put a load, load of effort, blood, sweat, tears, love, passion into something that's not going to scale, that's not going to serve people and not going to work for you. Here's the great news though. There are niches of niches of niches and there are micro niches right now So it's very likely that if you do have a micro niche, you actually can monetize it. And if you think about how there's been hyper specialization as we go over the years, thanks to technology, thanks to Moore's law, where technology apparently doubles its capacity 
um, every three years or so. You know, we've got this velocity of momentum of technology, of business, of niches and hyper niches. I mean, you know, if you want to buy a car now, if you go go to the Mercedes dealership, dealership there's A class, B class, C class, D class, E class, S class. SL class, SLK class, SLA class, CLA class, CLK class. Then there's all the different engine sizes. Then there's the estate version or the two-door or the four-door or the five-door version. There's literally hundreds of different makes of a Mercedes. And I remember, well, I don't remember because I wasn't born, but I remember reading that that one day there was only one car you could buy from Ford and it was a Model T and there was only one color you could get and that was black. And I talked about the choice colors of the Mercedes now. So we're very much in a hyper-specialising, hyper-niched industry, which is continuing to gain momentum and velocity. And as that will carry on until something dramatically changes with the human growth or evolution or business evolution. So that is good news that you probably can set up a niche. I mean, you know, there's a, a, a chocolate shop that's very famous in England. There was a TV show about it called Chocky Wocky Doodah. And, you know, they have this passion for making chocolate, you know, and that's, that's really specialized. And it's also boutique when you compare that, you know, there's these huge companies like Cadbury's, uh, you know, that it's very difficult to compete with. So a good way to grow your business is to find this hyper niche uh, that, that there is demand for because, you know, maybe you've done some surveys, you've gone on Facebook groups and communities and you've asked your database and you've asked people if there's a demand for it. You found a niece that you can specialize in that maybe there's not a huge amount of competition for or you could own quickly. And then you go and own that quickly. Uh, and only then once you've owned that quickly, do you then scale up into bigger things. And if you look at any of the bigger business models now, if you look at Dyson, you know, obviously made a Hoover and then he went into lots of other products. You want to master a niche first, a hyper niche if that's possible, because it's quicker to master that rather than competing against Google. Uh, and then once you've built this uh, brand for this, you know, this specific niche, then you can grow. Okay, so that's step three, check the marketplace. Step four then is serving and solving. And one of the best ways to solve your problems is to solve problems for other people. And one of the best ways to create a business that endures, that gets referrals and recommendations, that grows organically and sustainably, that makes a difference on the planet, that continues to make money, that doesn't get its profit margin eroded through you know, being in too competitive an industry is by serving people, really solving their problems, helping people, caring about people, and um, fulfilling a need or a desire or a pain that your customer or client has. Now, a lot of businesses, when they start, when they're small, when they care, when they're, you know, when they're flexible, when they can move, when they can change course, when they're enterprising, when they're entrepreneurial, they're very much customer focused. They, you know, you, when you started your business could probably speak to the customers yourself. Maybe you were the salesman and the marketer and customer service all rolled into one. And you knew back then when you were young, you had this ability to adapt quickly. You had strategic advantage over bigger competitors that, that you could change, that there wasn't these massive layers of management and hierarchy on the org chart. There wasn't all this politics. Problem is, though, as you grow, you get clunky, you get slow. And often you start focusing on maybe shareholder value, you start focusing on profit margins rather than what a business is there to serve. And its purpose is to serve people and to help people and to care for people and to solve their problems. So always focus on how you can serve 
as many people as possible, how you can serve their problems on a small scale, but many units. Like, for example, um, Hans Rowling, who uh, set up Tetra Pak. Ultimately, that was just pack small packaging solutions. Do you remember when the bird used to peck at your bottle of milk outside when you used to pick it up um, outside your house in the morning when uh, the milkman had delivered it and it was annoying because the cream had gone and a bird had pecked and the foil had been dented or there was a hole in it and, you know, then just these simple solutions of ring pulls on cans and, you know, plastic packaging, but sold a billion times over or licensed and, and, and turned over billions of units. You know, that's a, one example of how you can serve a small problem to large people, like a post-it note. It's a small problem, but for many people. Then you've got big problems for small amounts of people. You know, maybe, for example, Roman Abramovich's yacht. Now, that was commissioned. I believe it was, it, it was believed to be to have costed between $350 million and $1.2 billion to build that yacht, a bespoke yacht, uh, for one person. Now, while some people could judge that as being a bit of a gratuitous and disgusting use of money, that's irrelevant because if there's a demand, then, you know, there will be supply. Uh, but that's a service to an individual who has a big problem. His big problem is he wants the biggest yacht. He wants the best yacht. And a problem is how to create that through all of the new innovations and making it the biggest and the best and the most luxurious and getting the materials from all parts of the planet and having all these new services and technology that no other yachts have. That's a big problem. So you can serve through big problems for small amounts of people, small problems, but for millions of people. So what kind of niche do you operate in? Is it, is it a scalable small problem? Is it a very bespoke and caring uh, and deep level of service to a few people, but a high level? Okay, so that's step four. Step five then is you need to be unique and you need to be relevant because if you are a copycat doing something that someone does but better than you, then of course you're just going to get beaten by all your competition. A lot of people choose to go into an industry because it's an industry that has proven to work and they they say naive things like, oh, well, if I only had 1% of the banking industry or if I only had 1% of the search market industry, then I'd make loads of money. Problem is that's already monopolized or there's already other people who are innovating in that space who've been doing it decades or who are already very good. So you need to be different. You need to be unique. You need to be very relevant. You know, you need to be what people really want. And sometimes people don't know what they really want. Steve Jobs was very famous for creating technology that people really wanted, that was so easy to use, that was intuitive, that was like an extension of the human experience. Uh, yet uh, the technology behind it was very complicated. For example, get take, making a phone with no screws. The technology involved to create a, a phone which had no screws was, you know, it was very, very difficult. Or, the, you know, the touchscreen ability or even when the mouse was designed or uh, all of these huge innovations actually simplicity to us using them but major complication behind them but Steve Jobs did have this ability to know what the customer wanted to it to be very relevant to them to unique intuitive so how can you be unique intuitive how can you really understand your customers your clients what they want what they need you can do that through surveys through asking your best customers who spend the most who uh, who love you the most who have uh, you know, evangelizing fans, you know, what, what made them become that keep asking and keep looking to solve their problems and serve them the best. Now, the great news is you are already unique. You are unique at being you, because even if you're a twin, there is no one like you on the planet. You have your own unique DNA. You have your own unique talents and genius. You have your own unique values. 
So a lot of people don't think that they can be unique. They uh, maybe de-pedestalize and position themselves as maybe they don't have a lot of confidence in who they are and what they do. But I'm here to tell you, you are completely unique. There genuinely is no one like you with the same genetic makeup and the same, you know, hierarchy and order and amount of values. So it's very easy to be a unique and genius of you. You just need to honor who you are. And if you follow the first four steps, and then this becomes a lot easier and just live who you are, you know, love you for who you are and understand that you have value and contribution to give and to share and that people really want it. Maybe millions of people want it. And when you tune in and discover that and accept that and, you know, learn to love that about you and your business and, you know, you go out there and you have that attitude to help others and help them discover theirs and care enough for them. Selling is simply caring enough for someone to understand what they really want that will help them in their life, packaging that up and then giving it to them in a way that will help them get there quicker. That's all that selling is, or at least good sustainable selling. So how can you be unique? How can you be different? How can you have a unique position in someone's mind? You know, how, how can you own in their mind what you are over and above anybody else? And of course, the name of this podcast, The uh, Disruptive Entrepreneur, that's, that's its attempt, isn't it, as a position to disrupt conventional thinking and to challenge maybe conventional wisdom or the, the old, the staid, the corporate way of doing or the, you know, the kind of, you know, the thinking that you just have to turn up and work for a living and exchange all your time for money. Well, I'm here to disrupt that, to challenge that, to show you that there is a better and a different way and help you uh, achieve that for you and the people that you care about. Okay, and then step six, so the final six step step on the six steps to monetizing your passion or, you know, starting up your enterprise is keep evolving, keep disrupting, keep learning, keep growing, keep improving. Constant and never-ending improvement. Learn, test, tweak, review, grow, disrupt, keep solving bigger problems, keep learning, keep brainstorming, keep the hunger there to challenge, to improve, to you know, uh, Kaizen, the constant and never ending improvement. Now, many people, they get to certain levels in their business or their career, you could call them glass ceilings, where they lose a bit of that passion and enthusiasm and desire and hunger. And that's nothing to do with age and everything to do with your mindset. Now, if you follow these six steps, you re-listen to this podcast and you go through those uh, six steps, especially keep reviewing every six months. Step one, which is discovering your values. Keep checking in that the business is serving your values and you're honoring your values. If you continue to do that every six months to a year, then the, the, the constant evolution and the disruption and the improving and the, the learning and the testing and the tweaking and the reviewing and the that will just continue to be there. You'll continue to do that because you're living out evolution. And the purpose of human existence is to grow, is to improve. No one gets up the next day and thinks, I want to be worse today. Here's the dichotomy of this, though. There are a lot of people in business who are start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. They're, look, they're chasing all the silver pennies, you know, the shiny, shiny penny syndrome. They're uh, always looking for the new thing to save them with no work and, uh, you know, laying on a beach street, drinking pina coladas, clicking a button on the laptop and being multimillionaires without caring enough for serving other people and helping them solve their problems. And they're not honoring the six steps that I've shared here. There are also a lot of people who've been doing business for a long while and they've got bored or, you know, they've hit, they feel like they've hit a bit of a, a ceiling in their industry where it's a bit mature, where growth is difficult. Now, I believe these are all perceptions as much as they are realities. So you're, 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 
don't chop and change because if you if you start again then you reset all of the compounding and the momentum and the velocity back to zero and you lose it all. It's a bit like planting a seed and nurturing it and watering it and giving it sun and giving it miracle grow and, you know, doing a rain dance around it. And you you wait weeks and weeks for the little shoot and the sprout. uh, And uh, then you give up on it and you're you're disillusioned because your tree isn't there. uh, And then you dig it out and you start again. And a lot of people are running their business and their life that way. And, and, and that's not the way. So you want this natural balance between evolution, disruption and improvement, but also keep on keeping on. Continue to do what you've always done that's got results. Don't change things for the sake of things. Don't keep tweaking all the time when you've got something that works. When you've got something that works, instead of if you need that change and that improvement, instead of changing it that could mess it up, why don't you try and find more people to serve on that system? You know, if you look at um, biology and chemistry, you know, you've got these different uh, molecules, which are often just makeups of the same, um, I believe it's atoms. I, I think I probably failed at biology and chemistry. But, you know, if you look at, look at um, uh, water is H2O, but if you had O2 or O1, they're very different. I believe O2 is oxygen. I believe O1 is ozone. Now, that's just a different amount of molecules. One is poison or could be poison and one one gives life. And business is very much that paradox, that dichotomy where if you don't grow and evolve and disrupt and innovate, then you're going to get left behind because technology is going to continue to improve and human beings are continue to grow in their needs and desires and fears and pains. But if you keep changing all the time, then you never get that velocity of momentum where uh, what you do attracts more people, you get known in the marketplace, you know, you build this brand where you get referrals, where you get viral marketing happening in your favor. Okay, so let's just sum up then those six steps to monetize your passion. Now, step one is discover your values. Uh, step do that every six months. Step two is to honor your values so that you master your niche and check in every year that your personal values and your business values are aligned and that you're still, you're still doing uh, what is important to you. Step three, check the marketplace. You should do that every year uh, because many marketplaces could have growth, but then they could become mature and it could be difficult next year, the year after. You want to check in every year or so. Is there still growth in this marketplace or do I need to disrupt or do I need to go Uh, into a new marketplace. Step four, always focus on caring, serving and solving for other people. If you want to solve your problems, solve problems for other people. Step five, be unique, be relevant, be memorable, be a little bit different without uh, different for the sake of being different. And then step six is keep evolving, keep disrupting, keep improving, but do not chop and change all the time. It's been a real pleasure to spend these 30 minutes with you on the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. Uh, Please do go and leave a review. And make sure you're following me on Facebook, which is Rob Moore Progressive. Um, I also have an Instagram account, Rob Moore Progressive, where I put a lot of image quotes up to keep you inspired and motivated uh, in your business and enterprise. 